The noises you can hear are the aftermath of the Colombo Central Bank bombing. The building is a high-rise that now has a hole in it. A truck with 440 pounds of high explosives crashed through the main gate of the Central Bank. Gunmen traded fire with security guards, and then the suicide bomber in the truck blew it up. It tore through the bank and damaged eight other buildings nearby. The explosion killed at least 91 people and injured 1,400 others, and at least 100 people lost their eyesight. This all happened on the 31st of January 1996. 14 days later, the World Cup was starting. On the 17th of February, Sri Lanka was supposed to be playing Australia. Australia forfeited that game, giving the points to Sri Lanka. Not long after that, the West Indies also forfeited their game in Sri Lanka, meaning Sri Lanka had won two matches before the tournament had basically started. And it's important to say that no matter what happened in this World Cup, it was always going to be massive for Sri Lanka. Through the PILCOM Alliance, which was Pakistan, India and Sri Lanka's World Cup committee, they were co-hosting this event. And at this point, West Indies had never hosted despite winning twice. Now, some team barely out of short pants when it came to international cricket was already in the quarterfinals. And the teams who had combined for three of the five World Cup titles started the tournament 0-1. Welcome to Double Century, the podcast about the history of cricket. This season, we are celebrating the World Cup. We will be covering all the older tournaments. This episode, we are doing the first part of the 1996 tournament, looking at Kenya, UAE, South Africa, and the West Indies. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. While this tournament is famous for Sri Lanka, they were not the only team making waves. There had been a huge 20-team qualifying event for the Associates, and in the second round, Kenya was in a group with the Netherlands, Bangladesh, and Hong Kong. The Dutch had not lost a game yet, and Bangladesh would be a test team in less than a decade. But Kenya made 295 against Bangladesh, and then held on to win by 13 runs. The Dutch game was even closer. Netherlands made 250, and Steve Tocolo went for them hard, but when he was out for 95, Kenya lost a few more wickets, and suddenly they had to crawl home with their tail, Asif Karim and Rajab Ali making the runs with two wickets and one ball in hand. In the semi-final of that tournament, they would make 318 against Bermuda on the back of Morris and Dumbay's 150 not out. Bermuda never even got close, and Kenya qualified for the World Cup, despite narrowly losing to the UAE in the final. Of course, no one really expected much of the Kenyans at the main tournament. Tokolo was starting to be well-known, and Adumbe as well. But no one really knew about the rest of the team. In their first World Cup match, India had beaten them easily on the back of a Sachin Tendulkar 100, although it should be pointed out that many of the Kenyans believed that shouldn't have happened because he should have been out for an LBW. 
They lost to Australia easily, and in the third game, Zimbabwe chased down their disappointing 134 with ease. Kenya's fourth game was against the West Indies, who were not far removed from being the unofficial champions of the universe. As befits a team that included Richie Richardson, Brian Lara, Shivnarayan Chandrapal, Jimmy Adams, Courtney Walsh, Ian Bishop, and Kurtley Ambrose. This was a side that could win the World Cup. Kenya had to fly from Patna to Delhi and then to Mumbai to finally take a bus to Pune. They didn't reach the ground until late the night before the match, and they found a green pitch. As if Kareem thought to himself, these guys are going to kill us. And it's going to be Kurtley Ambrose to open the bowling for the West Indies. Well, that's one. Jimmy Adams, the man taking the catch. Hitesh Modi, who played so well for his team. The ninth wicket down at 155. And that's it. The end of the Kenyan innings. Attempted drive there by Kareem. Outside edge being found. And again, Jimmy Adams taking the catch behind the stumps. They went out to bat and they made 166. The joke in the dressing room was how many overs the West Indies would need to win. Oh, ball just moving off the seam, and what a way to start off. Come on. Nicely played. Good control with that shot. Oh, and gets past him again. Gloved it. It made its way down to the boundary for four. Off the bat, too. You'd have to put it down as a chance. All you heard there was Keith Stackpole call leg buys and glances for four down to the fine leg boundary. The ball was moving so much that the Kenyan bowlers could not handle it. And when they made a chance, the keeper Tarek Iqbal dropped it diving to his right. The West Indies were on 18 already and this game was over. Bold, great ball by Rajat Ali and Richie Richardson is out. The movement in the air and off the pitch. Then Richie Richardson chased a wide one. But Lara was still there. Shot. Great start by Brian Lara. That's what they came to see and that's what they got. Bolding around his legs. Campbell across too far and he's picked up the legs up the stump. Magnificent start this by Kenya and the West Indies under enormous pressure. That's out. That is out. Brian Lara has been dismissed. It bubbled around in the gloves of the wickkeeper Iqbal, but Brian Lara once too often flirting outside that off stump, and aren't the Kenyans happy? Just a touch of apprehension there, that could be close. Arthur them taking on the fieldsman, and it's a direct hit. Picks it up, and a marvellous piece of fielding. The West Indies were now 35 for four, and as if Kareem would later say, we forgot who we were playing. A batting lineup with Lara, Richardson, Adams and Chandrapal could do nothing. When Kenya bowled, the West Indians could not get the ball away on the helpful surface. And when Kenya bowled a bad ball, West Indies over-attacked only to play some truly awful shots. And that's it. Inside edge onto the stumps. Cameron Coffey goes. That's the end. Kenyans are elated. Nobody on earth would have expected this kind of a result in today's match. And in the end, Kenya produced perhaps the biggest upset in World Cup history, and maybe in all cricket history. Some even said it was the biggest upset in sport. Kenya had one more match in that tournament. They went to Sri Lanka and had 398 scored against them. The world record. Life comes at you damn fast.
the UAE, remember, were the team that beat Kenya in Kenya to qualify for the World Cup. Their first game was delayed when the ground was flooded on day one at Royal Pindi. When it did start, it didn't go well. Gary Kirsten was an anchor in the South African team, but in this match, he made 188 not out, just missing out on the world record as South Africa passed 300. It got worse when UAE batted. Their top order had no idea how to play Sean Pollock or Alan Donald, so they quickly fell to 68 for 6 when their captain came in. Now, there are a few things you need to know about Sultan Zarawani. One is that he absolutely loved cricket, and that was very rare from an Emirati. Even today, the majority of the team is made up of experts. But also, Sultan Zarawani could play, certainly at club level. He studied in Pakistan, and he learned how to play the game there, and he's a part-time leg spinner who could give it a rip. Here he is bowling to Sachin Tendulkar. Well, it's a beautiful ball from Sultan, turned right across the face of the bat, pitched much closer in, I think we'll find here. What's where it pitches? It's pitching around about middle stump. Now, I don't want to give a false impression here. This Tendulkar wicket was one of the Sultan's five list A wickets. He bowled five overs a game as a part-timer and averaged 60. He wasn't good, and he wasn't in the team because he was talented. He was there because he was a Sultan. And now he was facing Alan Donald, if not the quickest bowler in the world at the time, close enough to it if you're a Sultan who averages 7.57 when batting in list A cricket. Hit him straight on the head. Captain Sultan Zarawani feeling the full force of an Alan Donald delivery. I hope to goodness he was wearing a helmet. No, he isn't. He isn't. He's wearing a, a floppy hat, which is enough to intimidate any quick bowler. And he's dead accurate. Straight on the side of the head. That's how he took his eye off the ball and hit him straight on the head. I don't know why he didn't wear the helmet, because he's facing one of the fastest bowlers in this uh, competition. The grey floppy, or wide brim, as some fans call it, comes off his head and floats over the stumps in this beautiful way. The ball goes out to deep backward point, and the Sultan was lucky to be able to walk afterwards. He actually keeps batting. Not well, obviously. It is not smart facing a bowler of this pace without a helmet, but you do wonder how often anyone had ever dared bounce the Sultan before this time. But while this is what is remembered from the UAE in that tournament, Something else did happen. Against a fairly decent Dutch team, the UAE restricted them to 216, with the help of the Sultan taking Dutch captain Steve Lubber. But it was mostly through Shaka Dukumwala and his five wickets. The UAE would stroll to the total in the 45th over after Salim Raza's 84 from 68 balls. Thankfully, the Sultan didn't even need to pad up. This was the UAE's first win in a World Cup. But let's talk about the Sultan's nemesis, Alan Donald. In 1992, South Africa were a major story. In 1996, they were probably a much better side. They did not lose a game in the round robin, five on the trot, but in this edition, they had a quarterfinal system. And so that meant that they had to play against the West Indies. And for that match, South Africa decided to take Alan Donald out of the team and use their left arm wrist spinner, the frog in a blender, Paul Adams. Brian Lara destroyed them while their best bowler sat on the bench and watched. Lara particularly went after Adams, who wasn't quick enough in the air for him, and eventually they yanked him from the attack, and Adams ended up bowling at the death once Lara had finally been dismissed. 
South Africa batted well, but it wasn't enough, and they were out of another World Cup. Oh, and that's a big appeal. He's given in. That's a, that's a huge breakthrough. Well, would you believe it? The man who has absolutely destroyed everyone in this World Cup has played back to Ambrose, and he is out. Plum LBW. What a start for the West Indies. He's bowled He's dragged it back onto the stumps. Bishop has struck this time, and he deserves that wicket. Oh, and the big appeal. He's got him again. Yes, he's got him. Well. This is a great performance by Ambrose. This set up a semi-final between Australia and the West Indies, where Australia batted first. They fell to 15 for four, before Australia pulled it back with a top partnership between Michael Bevan and Stuart Law, but still only managed 207. The West Indies top order started very well. Chandrapal and Lara both made runs, but when Steve Waugh took Lara, they went very slow, really crawling towards the total, meaning that they just kept Australia in it. And then Australia had a breakthrough in the 42nd. Chance at mid-on, and it's taken. So Chandrapal has succumbed. The Australians aren't quite dead. The West Indies only needed 43 runs with seven wickets in hand from 51 balls. Richie Richardson was still there in his maroon floppy smashing McGrath everywhere. And at this point, no one really knew that McGrath was going to go on to be the best ODI bowler of his generation. Maybe they learnt more of it when he took Roger Harper's wicket. But at the other end, Australia also had a pretty handy bowler. Shane Warne, bowling at the death, gave Australia life. Richie Richardson was smashing the ball everywhere, and it was just an absolute mad finish. But the West Indies were massively panicking, and it was Australia who was playing like the West Indies once had. Richardson has a go, he's hit this one hard, hard, it's gone all the way! Oh, he's got him, he's got to be out, yes he's got him! They look gone for all money. The Aussies are coming from everywhere. The scoreboard has the top four West Indians in double figures and then just a trail of destruction that Warner McGrath brought about. But this was the first time we'd seen them like this in a World Cup together. And this is one of the great forgotten games of the World Cup. And it was, even if we didn't know it then, a complete changing of the guard. Australia were now more skillful and composed than the West Indies. And sadly, this was an end for the West Indies. Because after this match, they would never, ever be a force in 50-over World Cup cricket again. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version that you can get via Patreon. And there are many other extras involved with being a member over there. In fact, this show would not exist if Patreon members had not helped us at the beginning and continue to support us. Cricket history does not pay. So any help you can give will be massive. And you'll find a link in the show notes to subscribe. Remember to please review, follow, tell your friends and family, and just people that you meet in parties about our show. All of that helps us grow. Double Century episodes are written by either Abhishek Mukherjee or myself, sometimes both of us. And I am Jared Kimber, and this is part of my podcast network. The podcasts are overseen by Nick McCorriston, who also edits and produces Double Century. And C.S. Chawanza is our man for social media clips. 
If you like the Double Century podcast, on top of subscribing and supporting us, there's actually way more content like this on the Jared Kimber YouTube page.